Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. The Chimp Paradox by Professor Steve Peters or Professor Peter Steves, who knows? I do, it is Professor Steve Peters. Uh, that's the, the focus of this week's episode of the podcast. The Chimp Paradox is... Well, I would say it's not an it's not a new idea in this book. The idea that there is a an emotional part of the brain and a logical part of the brain. We all know that, right? That's that's not new. But what's really really interesting and what's made this book such a huge hit over the years is the way he frames these these parts of the brain, the uh, the the emotional part of the brain and the the logical part of the brain. He talks about there being three different parts to the human brain. And it wouldn't be the three parts that you might know, the neocortex and the limbic system and the, the reptilian brain. He talks about the human, the chimp, and the computer. The human brain is the brain that makes logical, calm, rational decisions. Whereas the chimp is the part of the brain that flies off the handle or wants you to be lazy and to skip your workout or... Um, takes offense without really considering all the facts, that kind of thing. It's it's that uh, it's that part of the brain. And the last part then is the computer. And the computer is where both the human and the chimp go to see how they should react to things. They kind of it's almost like a like a computer. So it's, it's a reference. It's where they go to see their beliefs and values. Basically, we'll get into that as we get into the uh, the content of this book. Great book. Uh, it's very well laid out. There is. Sometimes these books that we do for these podcasts are um, great content, but it can be a bit dry. It's a bit um, uh, wordy <laughs> for a book. But it's this book is different in that it's broken up with, with you know images and diagrams and um, funny little uh, cartoons along the way. So it makes it much, much easier to read. So uh, if you're looking for something that's kind of a, a light read, then uh, listen to this first and see if you think you might want to go even deeper than what we're offering you. So the chimp paradox is three parts of the brain, the human, the chimp and the computer. One of the things he says is that everybody has a chimp, this inner chimp, this um, it's like a boisterous, emotional uh, chimp that you can either try and pretend you don't have one or you can learn how to control it. So in this book, he first lays out all the different he kind of talks a little bit about the, the, the three different parts of the brain according to, to his framework and then how to control it. And the second part of the book, the the last, towards the end of the book, it's more about kind of self-help stuff. There's some really good stuff in there. If, you've, if you haven't heard that kind of stuff before, it's definitely worth reading. For I'll give you an example. One of the things he talks about is uh, the square of communication. So this is, like I said, later on in the book where you've understood that the, the human brain should be the one that's employed most but not always and if you are thinking about replying to an email emotionally or or um, going into a meeting uh, perhaps not completely level-headed and think about the square of communication the square of communication basically is in the center of the square is the is the person right so is it the right person that i'm going to communicate this thing to whatever the thing is then around the sides and this is a really good way of of making a quick decision as to whether you should send that email or not. So in the middle of the square, is it the right person? Am I telling this to the right person? Then is it the right time? Is it the right agenda? 
is it the right place and is it the right way so the 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 right person in the middle of the square and then around the edge of that square then on the four sides is it the right time the right agenda the right place and the right way it's a great way to so like i said like you you've probably heard those kinds of you know little diagrams and things that people do um, for communication but i thought that was quite a good one the the square communication it's it's a quick checklist for you should i hit send on that email or not <laughs> generally if you're hesitating about hitting send sleep on it is what i'd always say um anyway so back to the beginning of the book there are essentially two ways that the two primary ways of thinking that easily come into contact conflict i should say with each other and it's it is that neocortex and the limbic system so the neocortex is like the, the neo meaning new and um it's the top part of the brain the squiggly part of the brain the reason the brain is squiggly is to allow more surface area there you go little that's not in the book professor steve uh, peters didn't know that one i did um, <laughs> it's late at night and i'm recording this I, I, I won't lie to you human brain is um squiggly part on top is the neocortex underneath that then it's a limbic system and that's like the, the that's where the chimp is basically and the chimp likes to act on emotions and feelings and it's the part like he one of the examples he gives in the book is um he kind of gives all these scenarios in the book and he gives one about this guy john who is late for work and um the reason he's late for work and he and he's made even later because his neighbor has parked in front of his car so now he has to go and um uh, ask the neighbor to move the car and you know gets to work eventually but that's not the scenario the scenario then is when he comes home and tells his wife the story that he had to um get the neighbor to move the car and the wife says sure isn't fine didn't it all work out in the end what's the big deal and at that point john's chimp kicks into gear and says oh well you never support me jeez i'm only trying to tell you what happened to her and all of that is the chimp responding the human after john has calmed down the human might respond in a completely different more rational way but if john has come home and he's he's hungry and he's tired and he's stressed and he's been sitting in traffic all day and he feels like his wife doesn't support him which is like quite a leap for when you're telling a story about you being the victim at the start of your day you're looking for sympathy and it could be that the wife's chimp is talking to his chimp rather than it being john's human talking to the wife's human this is kind of the, the the scenarios that he sets up how to spot when the chimp is in control so the next thing he talks about then is how to manage your chimp right the first thing is to accept that you have one right that everyone no matter how uh even the dalai lama must get frustrated at things sometimes it's to it the thing is to understand your that your chimp is there no matter what and it's there to protect you a lot of the time as well but in order to kind of take control back from the chimp some one of the things you can do is exercise it give it room to vent and he gives this great example in the book for you know when you want to do a presentation think about any presentation if let's say for example you're you're not particularly um experienced at giving a presentation especially these days if you're having to do it all online and you're worried about technology and stuff as well uh, as in the technology not working for you but let's imagine that the uh the presentation's coming up and as the day approaches you get more and more and more stressed and more and more um worried about what could go wrong well in the book he talks that this is really your chimp um 
running riot essentially in your head. And what you should do at that time, in a, like in a safe space kind of thing, like so you don't do this like 30 seconds before the presentation begins, maybe 24 hours beforehand or, you know, whatever it makes sense for you, for you to do it, is to actually let the chimp vent, right? So what you do is you think about every possible thing that could go wrong with the presentation. Um, people start to laugh at you. People start to uh, unmute themselves. Let's say it's on Zoom or on, on Google um, Hangouts or whatever. Uh, people start to unmute themselves and start to talk over you and um, pull your presentation apart. All the worst possible things that could happen. You let that chimp vent and you take each of those nightmare scenarios right to their conclusion. And then when you when you feel like you've gotten to the end of the conclusion, make it even worse, right? Get, go as far as you can. And really what you're doing is you're letting the chimp vent. You're letting this emotional part of your brain run riot. And the whole point is that once the chimp is exhausted, once every single scenario has been played out to death in your head, then the human comes in and goes, well, which of those ones are likely? Let's take the top three or top five things that are likely to happen. And how do I mitigate against them? How do I use the rational, logical part of my brain to make sure that doesn't happen? So, for example, and this is just my, this isn't in the book, but one of my own tips for presentations is that anytime you do a presentation, the slides are for the presenter, not the audience. The slide is to remind the presenter what to say. It should be something interesting for the audience to look at. So, you know, an image, no more than three bullet points, all that kind of thing. But generally, I would always use the slides as a reminder for what I'm to say, not what the audience is to read. There's nothing worse than when people f put a paragraph onto a slide. Am I supposed to read that or am I supposed to listen to you? If people can get the point of the presentation without you being there, then send an email or send on the slide deck. Or if people can get the point without there being slides at all, then you don't need slides. So it should be the two things together that help the audience make sense of, of whatever the thing is that you're talking about. Anyway. That's my uh, two cents on how to do a presentation. So, uh, one of the ways he says as well then to, to think about if it's the human or the chimp in control, you can't decide, well, am I being overly emotional or is it, is it rational to actually be a little bit emotional about this, is to ask yourself this kind of a question. Ask yourself questions like, do I want, and then fill in the blank. So, do I want these feelings? Um, do I want to be worried about this? And if the answer is no, then it's your chimp. It's not you, it's the chimp. The next thing he talks about then is that automatic functioning is essential to human existence, but it has a destructive side. So what that means is that, you remember Daniel Kahneman's book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow? He talks about basically system one and system two, or the first and the second system, whatever way he calls it, but he won a Nobel Prize, I believe, for this uh, for his work that culminates, not culminates in his book, but is summarized, I suppose, in the book. He talks about thinking fast and slow, so that the, the fast part of your brain is if you're walking through a forest and you see a stick, but actually you think you saw a snake, the logical part of your brain is going, hmm, I wonder, is that a snake? What type of snake is it? You immediately jump back because you thought it was a snake. It's only once you've reacted and got yourself from what you consider into safety that the slow part of the brain kicks in and I go, actually, no, it's not a snake, it's a stick. So the, 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 the fast part of your brain is of is 
is, and this is like what the chimp is as well, that kind of flies off the handle emotional thing, doesn't have time to think and it reacts like 10 times quicker or something like that than, than, than the slow part of the brain, than the, the human part of the brain. So actually another one he says in, in Daniel Kahneman's book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, is about uh, making assumptions. We all make assumptions all the time because that's what allows us to function. Otherwise, it'd end up in analysis paralysis, as they say. And the example he gives is a door that you've never seen before. Um, just a door into a building you've never been in before. You've never gone into that building before. If you had to figure out every door from scratch, you'd never be able to, to do it. But as you're approaching a door, you can see if there's a handle or one of those metal plates on the door that says push, and you know what to do. You push, or you you you, you pull the handle down and, and pull it or push it, right? That's, that's an assumption about how doors work. We all do it in sales, in communications, uh, in meetings, in negotiations. We all do it, but you have to decide whether that's going to be a useful thing for you to do or not. So in this, um, in this part of the book, he talks about the the, the automatic functioning, which is that uh, fast part of the brain um, that just kind of has instincts and reacts. So he tells a story then about like, or gives an example, I suppose, not a story, but an example of a child who does a drawing for their uh, for their parents, which I'm uh, looking at uh, drawings that my children have done for me, all stuck on the wall here in front of me. So Sometimes what can happen is that can give the child the belief or, or what he would call a gremlin uh, or actually call some goblins, I think, gremlins or goblins, um, which is like a negative belief, if you like. So, so let's say the kid does the drawing and the dad puts it on the fridge. There is a chance then that the kid thinks that they have to do all these drawings to feel loved which is crazy because you think, well, I'm proud of the drawing and, and the kid wants it on the fridge, we'll stick it on the fridge. But you have to be aware that that, that can happen as well. So if there's too much emphasis put on how great the, the, the drawing is or how good the, the painting is, the kid might feel that they have to do this to, to, to get your um, recognition or your, your love even, which is, which is crazy. So, and again, it's, it's I mean, I, I'm talking to myself here as much as anyone here, but um, you don't know if you're doing those things to kids. All you can do is try and be balanced about, you know, the, the praise you give. One of the things I remember reading before about giving praise to your kids' drawings is to be specific about what you like about it. I love the way the, the sun is blue, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and then maybe just kind of leave it there, like, and, and, and don't go on about it. But let me know if you figure it out how to raise kids. Um, so he talks about then these, these either gremlins or goblins, and he talks about how... Um, the way to identify them is is to spot when the 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 chimp is taking over, right? The, like you're in in line in a in a coffee shop and somebody just jumps in front of you. The chimp might want to to knock them out, or the goblin or the, the gremlin tells you that you're not good enough and you do nothing. You know, I, I don't I don't deserve to to stand up for myself. This idea then is really about metacognition. I don't think he uses that phrase in the book, but metacognition is to is to think about your own thoughts. And that's what he's really getting at here is that why haven't I reacted or why did I react? It's to think about your thoughts, to think about what was my chimp thinking at that particular moment in time? Why did I react in that particular way? The next section of the book then he talks a little bit about how the chimp in your head tends to forget that other people 
have other thoughts and, and feelings and beliefs and values and so on. And I've talked a little bit about this before in other ways, but actually the way he's summarized it here in this book is, is, is he did a better job than I could ever do, I think. Uh, you don't know what this other person is going through. I've given this example, I think, in other podcast episodes where people, um, you know, like let's say you're, you're going in, go, you're out in public and you, and you go through a door and the person in front of you doesn't hold the door for you. They let the door swing into your face and you kind of have to catch the door at the last second. That there is going to tell you everything you need to know about the human and the chimp and the computer in your brain, how you react. If you think, oh, well, I guess he didn't see me and you just kind of think, well, I'm not, people, you know, shouldn't hold doors for me or whatever. And you kind of start to beat yourself up about it. That tells you something about a, a, a goblin that you have in your own mind or in your computer. If you react really angrily, then that's the chimp taking over. And that's something to be addressed. Really what you want to do is what he says in the book here is that you don't know what that person is going through. The person who let the door swing in your face you don't know what they're going through. And it's the same thing when somebody sends you an angry email and work. You don't know what they're going through. Right? You don't know what kind of pressure they're under. It could be that you absolutely mess something up. Or it could be that it's nothing to do with you. That you know they're just kind of venting at you. Their, their chimp is venting at you. You don't know what this other person is going through. And you have an opportunity when somebody is um, being short with you or having a go at you about something you have an opportunity to decide how to react to that, which is basically what Viktor Frankl talks about in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He So I'll summarize it real quick. I think I did mention the most recent episode before this one. But Viktor Frankl, anyway, talks, he, he was a prisoner of war in Auschwitz um, during World War II. And he wrote a book afterwards about man's search for meaning. And one of the things he talks about is, is between stimulus and response, there's a gap. And in that gap is man's freedom, is man's opportunity to choose how, how he will react which is a paraphrase of, of, of what he said essentially that when something happens somebody lets a door swing in your in in your face that's the stimulus the thing that happened the event between that and your response there's a gap and in that gap is where your freedom is because you get to decide what to do about it so this is what he talks about in this book in the chimp paradox you don't know what the other person's going through so you get to decide whether to let the chimp run riot and react or be a human. And uh, one of the best things you can do when somebody sends you an angry email, hit reply, delete the person's email address so you don't accidentally send it, and then let the chimp run riot in the reply, and then go to sleep. Save it in your drafts until the next day and decide, do I want to send it or not? Then put the person's email address back in and rewrite the email most likely. So you have to abandon all prejudice positive and negative about a person you take people as they are and you get to know them that's ultimately what he talks about in this book is that at this particular section that the the chimp can can burn your life down in an hour if you let it or you can decide to be the human in the situation all right what why has he sent that email to me like that why is he worded it like that and the amount of times i i would imagine a lot of people are probably getting to a point where they realize that tone is completely missing in texts and in emails anything that's, any, in any written word really is that we don't take the time to think about how the other person will interpret what i've said uh, it can come across as short or 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 mean or vindictive or all those negative things but without necessarily meaning to so when you're at the receiving end of something that seems mean or vindictive or um callous 
you can decide how, how you're going to react to it. You can decide whether to let the chimp react or the human. He talks then about people responding, or I should say not responding, but communicating in uh, four basic ways. Uh, you can go human to human, human to chimp, chimp to human, or chimp to chimp. And as you can imagine, the chimp to chimp can get ugly. And it actually reminds me of a, of a, I suppose it's a theory in uh, psychology. It's called transactional analysis, uh, TA um, is, is what it's called for short. And this is what can happen sometimes is that uh, it's kind, of, it kind of covers those those four different basic ways of communicating the human, human to human, human to chimp, chimp to human, and chimp to chimp. In TA, in, in transactional analysis, they talk about the parent, the adult, and the child. So the parent is, if somebody's talking to you in their parent, what they're doing is they're thinking about how their parent spoke to them or as somebody in authority to them spoke to them and now they're just, they're just uh, mimicking that to you. And that could be good or bad. It could be very loving or it could be very harsh. It kind of depends on, on what that person sees as a parent. Then you've got the child. The child is um, when you're back in the day when we were at desks with each other, when you're at your desk on a Friday at 4 p.m. and you finish at 5 p.m., that's when all the children come out to play, right? That's when the memes start getting sent around. People start sending uh, WhatsApp messages about pints. Um, that's child to child, which is, you know, there's a time and a place for that. But the child can also be um, stubborn and feel sorry for itself. Um, you know, children can be giddy and playful, but they can also be and very very emotional so there's a there's a time and a place for a child a child brain to talk to a child brain or in in this case a chimp to talk to a chimp so it's all about really recognizing that i'm in my parent i'm in my adult or I'm in my child so the adult basically is is similar to what would be the human brain here the logical calm reasonable um, approach to something but there's a time and a place for them all the parent the adult and the child so it's called transactional analysis um which is I guess is what he's touching on here with this, um, the four basic ways of communicating. Um, so human to human would probably be, probably be adult to adult, and then, you know, I've got adult to child and so on. You get the idea. So, like I said, everything in this book is, um, it's been covered before, but you, you kind of find that a lot of, a lot of the books we cover on this, like, there's probably five or six topics in the world that uh, they, people write non-fiction business books about, but it's how they, it's how they they package it. I think, which is really interesting. And the chimp paradox is really a, a great package, really for 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 helping people understand. Um, when it's what it's what Joe Rogan calls your inner bitch. I don't know if you've ever listened to Joe Rogan. Um, I actually read a just a thing today, like where he, uh, an Instagram post where he was talking about. Uh, his inner bitch. Right? His inner bitch is the is basically his chimp. That's just what he called it. And the inner bitch is the one who uh, tells him he doesn't need to work out today. That you need to rest today. Just take a day off. And so, in a way, like the the chimp is trying to look after him. It's uh, in its own way. Even though the human part of his brain goes, nope, not today. I'm, I will be working out today. So the the human wants to exercise. The chimp wants to watch another episode on Netflix. So what you do is you, you beat the chimp by focusing on what you want and you have to be proactive and responsive. So 
proactive, which again, I mean, I'm jumping all over the place here with the books today, but the seven habits of highly effective people, the first habit is to be proactive, is to take action. So sometimes what I do when I'm working out, I, I like to throw kettlebells around. That's my um, mode of punishment. I shouldn't say it though. So why do I even say that? It's not punishment. I love doing it. But sometimes, let's say I'm going to do a set of 12, right? Set, say 12 kettlebell swings. And I get to nine. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll stop at 10. As soon as I have that thought, I'm doing 15. That's what I do, which is probably a bit um, masochistic. Is that the word? Uh, but th that's, I mean, every time the chimp tries to take over, you have to beat that chimp down sometimes. That's that's how I think about it, especially when you're in the middle of a set, like throwing the cat. And I, I can definitely do 12, definitely. But maybe you're a little bit tired after nine and you're getting to the 10th one think maybe I'll stop after 10. Well, now you're doing 15. Say something else, chimp. That's what I think. <laughs> so you, you kind of, you have to kind of decide when you're going to beat the chimp down and when you're going to let it um, let it vent. So let's say on days where I, I decide maybe I'm not going to throw the kettlebells around today. Maybe today I'm going to um, eat a pizza, right? So that that's almost, I suppose, similar way of, of giving the chimp uh, room to vent. In the work environment, it could be something like I'll finish that project tomorrow. There's a great there's a great rule I've heard a few different different times from different places. If it if it's gonna take less than five minutes, do it right now. Which is a great thing to do. Um that's what keeps you proactive as well. So anyway, the seven habits of I mentioned loads of books there, the seven habits of highly effective people and um, by Stephen Covey. That talks about being proactive. We have it on the um on the Use Because website, so you can have a listen to that, take a um, a whistle stop tour through that book. I talked about um, Viktor Frankl. It's uh, Man's Search for Meaning, which is a small book, but really, really powerful. I talked about transactional analysis. Couldn't tell you who wrote, who came up with that theory. Um, I want to say Eric Byrne, but I don't think it was. Um, somebody will get in touch, I'm sure, and tell me. And uh, Chim Paradox, and probably other books as well. But anyway, um. What's next? Next thing then he talks about is to seek out happiness and celebrate your victories. And this is, I guess, towards the end of the book, he's, he's talking a little bit about this idea that uh, happiness is a choice. So you can decide, it's kind of, I suppose it kind of ties into what I'm saying about throwing the kettlebells around. You can let the, you can let the, the chimp take over if you want. Sometimes it can be useful and uh, the chimp will look after you, but most of the time it's it's not going to um, get you and you being the human. It's not going to get you uh, to where you want to get to. And he talks about happiness being a choice, which is I've I've said this to people before that happiness is a choice, and uh, people have um, argued against me. But I think I'm right. I I think happiness is a choice. Like if you if you read that that Viktor Frankl book, Man's Search for Meaning, he says happiness is a choice. He, he found a way to be happy and to, uh, while living in Auschwitz. Well, I mean, like it, it's, you can decide what things mean. You can decide what these events that happened, you can decide uh, how, what your response is going to be to it. So, and he says as well then that the, the chimp is never happy. It will, it'll strive for achievement and not happiness, which is a, an interesting thing. So what's the difference? Well, he talks about different mindsets in the book as well. And one of the mindsets he talks about is what he calls the alpha wolf mindset. And the alpha wolf is that person in work who just continuously wants to be promoted, continuously wants all the praise. 
They have zero tolerance for any mistakes. They don't have any compa compassion. They're all about aggression. They won't admit their own mistakes and they won't tolerate mistakes from anybody else. And it's all very um, external. Like everything in the world has to go my way and it's very aggressive. And it's that that's the chimp that just wants to achieve, achieve, achieve. Whereas the human can be maybe not even happy, but content. I think, I think, I won't get into it now, but I, I think happiness and contentment are two different things, basically. And I think you can be content in a struggle, like a, like a difficult problem. I think that's really where contentment lies, being content with your life and being content with your, with your career. Because if you're, if you're working on, on something difficult, even though it might be painful at the time, you have to go through that, which is something that, that, that Robert Greene talks about in his book, Mastery, again, which is on the, the Use Because uh, platform. Part of mastery is to go through the boring parts. Another mindset he talks about is um, the Snow White mindset, which I love because you think it's really obvious. It's really easy to spot on people. Nothing is my fault. Life is how it is. And what's the point in even trying? It's those people like in, I don't know, I know people all over the world are listening to this, but I, I know people that know, no matter what goes wrong, like with the, with the Irish government, the Irish government is as fallible as any other government and they have, they're good people and they're bad people. But when something goes wrong, you know that person that will say something like, oh, typical Ireland, oh yeah, that's always the way. It's not always the way, it's, the, it's it just happened once. It's that Snow White, um, nothing is my fault, I'm only a princess kind of thing. Um, I can't control anything. I just have to accept the world for how it is. So I know he talks about um, these different mindsets for... Um, and I, and I guess that kind of leads towards happiness or what I would call contentment. And um, hey, again, metacognition, right? Thinking about your own thoughts, that's what metacognition is. These different mindsets, you have to ask yourself, oh, what kind of a mindset am I using here? There's a few more. I've only mentioned two there, but there's more in the book. Um, different mindsets that, that you can fall foul of or you can kind of find yourself slipping into, like being the victim, like rather than thinking about the stimulus and the response, a thing has happened, okay, what am I going to do about it? And he also says as well that the, the person you want to be is who you really are. And the chimp and the, the, the goblins, as in those, uh, those negative uh, beliefs that you have, they get in the way. And to build on that little thought, again, I've read this somewhere else as well, that, uh, you know, I wish I was... I wish I was the kind of person who worked out more. I wish I was the kind of person who was um, uh, more social. I wish I was the person who was more compassionate or was a better listener or whatever the thing is, the thing that you wish you were. All you have to do is uh, act in the way that that person would, and then you're that person. If you want to be the person who's more compassionate, then you act compassionate, and then you are that person. It's actually quite straightforward. So that's what he's talking about here. The person you want to be is who you really are, and the chimp gets in the way. Another great thing he says in the book is that uh, it's, the, it's the one in five rule. The one in five rule is that one person out of five probably won't like you. <laughs> no matter what you do, no matter all the metacognition and the stimulus and response and the, the ideas, the things that you deliberately practice, all of that, they just won't like you. There's nothing you can do about it. So um, accept that you can't please everyone. And again, it, it, that ties into that, um, what was it, the, the alpha wolf mindset, that person who wants to achieve, achieve, achieve. 
if they have any sort of metacognition, they'll eventually realise that the 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 race is only with themselves. There's all there's always somebody smarter, better connected, has more money. No matter what, like there's all more just happier than you. Like there's always somebody who has more of what you think you want. Um. So keep that in mind that the race is only ever with yourself when it comes to this uh, this kind of stuff. So what I'm going to do is, uh, I've never done this before, but uh, I'm going to finish with a quote, a bit of a long quote, but it's, um, I'll tell you who it's by at the end. You might you might guess halfway through it. Uh, and the reason, I wanted to, the reason I thought about this is that the chimp paradox, it, it kind of, I suppose it kind of had me re- re- reflective on a few different things. And one of the things being that, that happiness really is a choice and that um, if you're going to let your chimp get in the way the whole time, then it's just going to impact your own happiness. You have to decide what you're what you're going to focus on and what you're going to, going to let happen. Uh, anyway, this is the quote. The world is a ride in an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real because that's how powerful our minds are. The ride goes up and down, around and around. It has thrills and chills. And it's very brightly coloured. It's very loud and it's fun for a while. Many people have been on the ride a long time and they begin to wonder, hey, is this, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered and they come back to us and they say, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid ever because this is just a ride. And we kill those people. Shut them up. I've got a lot invested in this ride. Shut them up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill the good guys who try to tell us that. You ever notice that? And let the demons run amok. But it doesn't matter, because it's just a ride. And we can change it any time you want. It's only a choice. No effort, no work, no job, no savings of money. Just a simple choice right now between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your doors, buy guns and close yourself off. The eyes of love instead see us all as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now to a better ride. Take all the money we spend on weapons and defences each year and instead spend it on feeding and clothing and educating the poor of the world. We should pay for it many times over, not one human being excluded. And we could explore space together, both inner and outer, forever, in peace. It's the comedian Bill Hicks. Hey, before you go, just a quick message about usebecause.com and what we're all about. We believe that true learning happens when you understand, remember, and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. So with that in mind, you can get access to our purpose-built learning tools to help you do just that. To really embed the knowledge from this episode, take a look at the interactive summary that goes along with it, and then use the action log to set a time and a date to go out into the big bad world and deliberately practice the key takeaways from this episode. You do all that and you get yourself a certificate of completion. So try all our tools for all of our episodes, free for a month, you can cancel any time. For all of this, and all of the podcast episodes, head over to usebecause.com. Until next time.